Could you please stop being such a buzzkill? Hello. Welcome back to Buzzkill. Um, this was episode five, correct, Jason? I think so. Who cares? <laughs> Just welcome about, back. Welcome sounds about right. Uh, today, um, we have a special guest, uh, Leslie Lee from Struggle Session. Uh, how you doing, Leslie? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. How y'all doing? Doing all right now that we got all the technical difficulties ironed out. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So today I uh, wanted to bring Leslie on to talk about uh, two things, actually. Uh, uh, Battle Royale, um, the film, the Japanese uh, film from 2000, uh, uh, the cult favorite, and also a short story by uh, Ralph Ellison, um, which is also called battle royal as opposed to battle royale um at first i was like let's talk about battle royale because it's one of those movies that it just gives me an excuse to re-watch it um uh, and also it's always one of those movies that every time i see it i th- i take a new sort of or i derive a new kind of uh sense of the film and what it's about or i see things that i hadn't before um and then jason mentioned the ralph ellison story um, which was a precursor to the Invisible Man. It's actually the um, first chapter of yeah, Invisible yeah, yeah, Man yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, and I was like, I was surprised by that. I didn't realize that. Um, and then I was like, let me let me look into this story. Um, and upon reading it, um, I thought, yeah, this kind of actually pairs interestingly. I'll put it that way. It pairs it pairs interestingly with uh, this movie specifically. I mean, now obviously, uh, what both uh, stories are dealing with are are specific right and, and unique to sort of who created them and where they were created um for example obviously um battle royale is very much from a japanese perspective um and has a lot to say about sort of the culture that exists there not only in, not only uh uh of the of the era but of you know the era in which sort of that society um, came from you know because Japan is definitely an honor culture and then the short story um, by Ellison obviously has to do with race in America um, and it's very much from the perspective of a black person growing up um, in a sort of pre-civil rights moment you know um, but I did find actual parallels so you guys um, first Let's just do a little back and forth. Uh, have you guys, when's the first time you guys saw Battle Royale? And um, have any of you, obviously I know Jason has read this Ellison story. Have any of you read this Ellison story? And have you any of you read The Invisible Man more specifically? I'll let yeah, our so, guests go for sure. Yeah, I first saw Battle Royale, the movie. I heard the buzz about it like as soon as it came out. That was it was, you know, it was, it what was it 2000, you know, it's before Twitter, before YouTube, before, might have been before Torrance, maybe, maybe we weren't getting Torrance quite Maybe yet. Napster. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, I probably got it on Direct Connect, actually. That's probably the place mm. I got this movie, and it was big. There was tons of um, Japanese horror movie, Korean horror movies, and a little bit of Thai horror, uh, films from Hong Kong, action stuff, too, that was getting, like, a big buzz in, 
you know, the states that uh, they were becoming all these cult phenomenons and battle royale was, if not the most talked about, probably up there, right? Like that was the one everybody knew. That was the one like, oh man, you gotta see this movie about all these Japanese high school kids, you know, uh, killing each other. It's the most extreme movie uh, you'll ever see. Like it had a real buzz and you, it was not easily accessible for you to see it. You had to go out of your way. It actually didn't get, I think U.S. distribution until like a while later, like years later officially, but we all got it in one way or or another and I, I remember watching and enjoying it quite a bit it was it's a fun movie it's an interesting movie very much more political than you expect from the buzz um but i, I did enjoy a lot it, it didn't become my favorite movie it wasn't my favorite movie at the time but it was one i enjoyed i've gone back and watched it over the years once or twice and I still uh, get a kick out of it and i feel like it hasn't lost anything even though we've gotten hunger games in between which is just the exact same story like basically no different <laughs> difference whatsoever i'm not even sure how they weren't sued for it. i'm I'm, sh I'm shocked if they weren't um uh, except for the fact that this type of story has a long long history yeah, exactly. so nobody can really prove ownership of it but man hunger games is very close but yeah i've seen this before uh it this is not i've read invisible man very very long time ago and reading this again like oh i need to reread it so that you know because i understand i can understand it now you know that's one of those books they shove it at you when you're very very young and you might not pick up on it um yeah but definitely um and yeah it being and the so the story itself is a is a short story battle royale it it, it was initially i think he wrote uh five years before, before. Uh, he started novel. the novel but he was convinced by some friends of his to release this as a short story uh, as yeah. he was working on the novel but it came out years before the novel you're right yeah yeah and you can read the story and get like the complete thing so i don't want anybody going in think if you read the short story you're getting the income you do get a complete like very good shorts story and it's quite compelling uh in its own right now you have this grand novel that follows it up but it, as a short story it's pretty good as well oh yeah um the film same as him i got my hands on some bootleg copy way back in the day i think i was living in the boston area at the time and i think i just watched it by myself i didn't even have a lot of film friends this was before like internet groups really i mean there was you know, AOL and shit like that, but I just went on there to harass people mostly. Um, <laughs> so I didn't really even talk to anyone about it, and I hadn't seen it since then. It's been forever. But uh, as far as Ralph Allison goes, in college, somebody turned me on to the short story. I think it was in a creative writing class. And then I did seek out and read the novel, which I do need to revisit as well, because between chemotherapy and the recreational drugs and shitty sleep. I don't remember hardly anything. So I told Ryan, it's a curse and a blessing because I get to like re-experience a lot of awesome movies and shit for the first time. <laughs> I feel like my memory has gone to shit so bad. Um, but yeah, definitely down to revisit that novel for sure. I want to say one thing you talked about how this was supposed to be such an extreme movie when it came out. Does it feel extreme now to you guys when you watch yeah. it? Or are you kind of like, Eh, it's not extreme at all you know the thing is i didn't think it was extreme at the time but compared to how comparatively soft and bloodless like the average movie that you might see is it's still it's like oh i'm getting that old feeling back of like you know 90s oos mm -hmm, movies mm -hmm. so i do feel like it's more extreme that we get now but even at the time i didn't think it was necessarily like the craziest thing you could see i mean there are even like in something like a, was it 
Tokyo Gore Police, you know, which is like, yeah, if, you know, see, if you're watching that kind of shit for yeah, sure. Yeah, I know. feel like if you're watching like Japanese cinemas consistently, when you return to Battle Royale, you will feel like, okay, this is Battle Royale. Like you're right. respected, but you might not, it might not have that visceral sort of punch, right? But to Leslie's point, um, in comparison to like even something like the ripoff Hunger Games, it does seem like it goes there oh, yeah. in a way Hunger that, Games like, is neutered right. Hollywood it's just quadrant. yeah it's the neutered version it's the neutered you know Hollywood version of of this concept um and since that movie sort of has its its uh it has its popularity and its following out here and it's well known um I it's not surprising to, to that like a lot of people I do know have seen the Hunger Games have read those books um, and have seen those films, but have not seen Battle Royale. Like I would say a lot of normies that yeah, I know. They would uh, be shocked by it probably. They would watch this and they would freak the fuck out um, <laughs> because the violence is very, it doesn't shy away. I mean, you know, Japanese films, you know, they don't shy away specifically, you know, um, but uh, but this isn't like a, a, a Takashi Miike film by any means, but but it, it doesn't pull punches, you know, um, and I still appreciate that. I, I felt it was effective because, you know, movies dealing with high school kids um you always want like there's always a tendency to be like uh at least for me as a viewer I'm always like under the illusion that like oh they're gonna handle you know high school kids a certain way and then um it always works for me maybe that's because I've just had this Americanized sort of like you know um I've been I've been so indoctrinated by like the media here that like regardless of how much cinema I've seen and accumulated from everywhere else in my life, like I know that that sensibility is somewhere still there because every time I see a movie that involves high school age kids or younger, I almost by default assume, well, they're going to be careful. And when they don't, I'm like, oh, okay, 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 I see you. Uh, like I just, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with um, Lesson of Evil. Um Lesson of Evil is a, a Mike movie, um, and it's about a substitute teacher. Uh, and in comparison to this movie, like, <laughs> like it's like, yo, okay, like that is even more extreme. So I mm -hmm. saw that recently. So maybe that even helped with with this. Like, I just enjoyed Battle Royale as like a fun time, and I I, I definitely saw like the the political overtones. In the sort of messaging in the film like i responded i always responded to that but this time around i re probably responded to it a little bit more mm -hmm. and maybe maybe the the ellison story reading that kind of primed me a little bit too um because after reading that and sort of like processing that and like thinking about the sort of not only the thematic elements that could relate to this movie but also sort of like what ellis ellison was saying um and how that still applies in a lot of ways um, today in America. Um, yeah, so my first time seeing this movie, I really have to, I wanna say it was a torrent site. I'm pretty sure it was a torrent site. Um, I might've been working at Blockbuster though. I was pretty young. Like, so uh, that might've been, damn it. I really cannot locate. Shout out to Blockbuster. Yeah, shout out to R.I.P. <laughs> Rest in peace. Um, <laughs> I work there too. If you didn't work at Blockbuster, you're not a real screenwriter. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, Leslie. I don't know since this is our first time speaking. Uh, me and Jason are both uh, screenwriters. Um, uh, but we're not the type of screenwriters uh, that you encounter typically that you see that are the most vocal on Twitter. 
Uh, we hate <laughs> we hate screenwriting Twitter. Um, it's it's the worst. It's it's the worst place on earth. Uh, we also uh, we also have fun laughing at the majority of screenwriters we know in LA. Um, <laughs> uh, their politics, uh, their viewpoints. Uh, it's a co- it's constant fodder for us. Uh, we actually have a uh, uh, a, D- a group DM called the Rip Room, um, and it's just filled with us looking it's at gossiping bitches. Yeah, basically. yeah it's, it's, it's basically a, 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 a mostly male sewing circle and saying, "Look at what this person posted. Look at what this person said. Look how much of a, a, a Hollywood uh, psychopath this person is." So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've had a few run-ins with Hollywood screenwriting because uh, screenwriters. Because my co-host Jack Allison, he's he works in Hollywood. He's done a bit of you know writing work. Wrote for the Jimmy Kimmel Show, the Oscars, all mm. that good shit so he was still on he was on he was somehow ended up on like the good boy list where all of the all those people like followed him because they thought like he could get them work or vice versa mm-hmm. you know whatever and That's then what they you do. Know, and jack discovered they you know he had you know had very good politics and talked about politics and they didn't like that no no, <laughs> no, 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 no they do not like good politics dude uh, yeah let's back up a little bit i feel like i know more about your host than you now like what's your background where are you from how'd you oh, get into I- podcasting etc Oh, I, I guess I, I, I really probably wrestling is probably the first I've been doing, you know, podcasts or writing or stuff like that. But but my main passion was like professional wrestling. I used to cover wrestling around the country and then I go to Japan, cover the shows there and stuff like that. I had a website where we talked about wrestling interview wrestlers. I think that was the first podcast I had, but that was like years and years ago, maybe 2012. But uh, since then, a few years later, you know, the podcast world's takes off following my lead obviously and i end up starting this podcast (laughs) called struggle session yeah struggle session a few years ago with my co-host jack allison where we talk about the intersection of pop culture and politics and how these you know intertwine political messages that we get from our movies and whatever where our movies say about our politics etc etc and you know we just try to and we really grapple with the fact that a lot of stuff that we may like and enjoy, like say a show like 24, you know, has very reactionary politics. How can you be a, you know, good person with good politics and still enjoy that? I feel like the, the culture at the time was maybe probably now, it might even be worse now, where the only way to talk about something was whether it had like superficially righteous, progressive politics, regardless of like how they treat the crew on the set you know regardless of the corporation behind it and even regardless of whether those allegedly progressive politics and ideals are like actually good because most of them are just neoliberal uh (laughs) pro-capitalist politics dressed up with this veneer of you know positive progressive pro-black pro-lgbtq messaging but it ultimately is just to the same service of you know the corporation so how do you find anything to like and we say you know you can enjoy something with bad politics but you just have to think about it just turn your brain off have a little struggle session love it and, man. and it's a, and just don't and you know think about so i can watch a show like 24 and still vehemently be against torture because i understand that this is a fantasy world that is not real and right. anyone who thinks is real is being ridiculous but that also applies to something like black panther who clay which which explicitly was marketed and told and sold as having you know good pro-black politics well we you can enjoy that movie but you can also 
dig deeper into the politics about like why is the CIA why is there a CIA agent there and why he's <laughs> he the one who ultimately yeah, you are in the right today. place, my man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all the same shit we talk about. Take a drink, audience. You know what? I, as much five. As, as much as much as I like to criticize that movie, uh, I do think that like the Killmonger character is really like. Oh, the, I like Killmonger. Yeah, yeah. he's Everybody like the, he's like the rare Marvel character I even care about or like ever like at all like because I hate the MCU so so like like he's the one where I'm like well Killmonger he was right one um he's like Sam at the it's basically Sam at the end of the spook you sat by the door became Killmonger yeah Yeah. basically basically yes for sure and and to tie this back in um to the Ellison story right um I think it's 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 when you mentioned the spook that sat by the door I feel like a lot of uh what Ellison was talking about um, and that Killmonger character and in the spook that's sat behind the door uh, exist in that story because this oh. idea that like, you know, his, his grand, his dying grandfather tells him on his deathbed, you know, be a traitor. You know what I mean? Like uh, uh, smile for these white people, make ingratiate yourself with them, but be a traitor. You know what I'm saying? Like, like uh, this idea of like you having to exist as a black person in this country, you know, under, under, under the, system of white supremacy for lack of a better you know phrase uh the sort of way you have to socially navigate that um and it's like you're presented with two options right uh sort of buy into the stereotype or or sort of buy into the role that they give you assimilate assimilate or there's another option right which is pretend on the surface to assimilate but have that sort of intent to be sort of revolutionary or, or to sort of uh, uh, fight back at some point. I feel like, you know, obviously that's this, literally the spook that sat by the door. Well, but, he that's like his arc. It's like he mm-hmm. starts following mm-hmm. Ellison's grandpa's advice, but yeah. then he sees through the bullshit. And by the end, he's like, fuck that. Yeah. And it seems like it's, it's again, it's and take a shot because I mentioned capitalism um, <laughs> uh, as I do every episode, but it definitely felt like, you know, um, a, a, a criticism of capitalism and specifically of racial capitalism. Right? Yes. You know what I mean? Um, and for the, you mean the you short know, story, the short story. Yeah. The short Absolutely. story, like, you know, and for, you know, I'm not like, again, for you want to summate it for the audience out there or Leslie could, if you'd like either of you. Um, basically the story, I'll go ahead and do it. Uh, basically the story follows uh, a main character. He's a young black man. Um, and we're introduced to him. Um, I believe he's talking about his grandfather on his deathbed. Right. And he was surprised because his grandfather was always viewed in the community as this very sort of pleasant person, this very uh, non-confrontational uh, black gentleman, right? Um, but he tells him on his deathbed, uh, more or less to paraphrase that like, you know, be, you know, he tells him that everything that he's telling him on his deathbed is counter to the man that he thought he was, which was he was, he's basically telling him, you know, be a traitor, like don't ever sort of uh, 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 become, uh, for, for lack of a better word, don't ever become sort of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for guys here? Uh, uh, don't be a Mr. Ruckus from Boondocks. Yeah, don't rock the boat. Don't <laughs> yeah, be a boat yeah. rocker. Don't yeah, be a yeah, revolutionary. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't do. Uh, and you know, uh, basically, he, but he and, and and again, maybe I mis misread the story, but I got the sense that no, he said, be that on the surface, right? But but underneath, you know, don't you know, basically right. lie to these people, 
you know, but like smile, but ha- it's hold complicated the advice. Back. It's very yeah, complicated yeah, yeah, advice to give to an intelligent teenager who and, he might even be younger who carries that with him though conflicted right. and haunted by it you know and so the story moves where he's supposed to give he's he's supposed to give a speech that he because he's i guess he graduated he's graduated from or he was he graduating from from i don't know high school high, high school, school right because he mentions going to college right he gets into a uh a, a, a black college at the end right or it's it's yeah yes. he gets a fucked um, up scholarship yeah he gets some sort of fucked up scholarship again but that has so much again it has so yeah many, you gotta get to that right right but but so he's he's invited to give the same speech that he gave i guess for his graduation yep. um at this uh what is it a country club of some kind i believe yeah some kind of private club kind of, yeah, yeah some kind of club and it's a bunch so and he's already you know in his mind thinking about what his grandfather told him and he's on his way to go to this event to give this speech and he apparently is going to be a lot of influential people in the community a bunch of influential white people you know um and when he gets there uh he finds out that there's a whole bunch of other young black boys there uh black teenagers and um they're going to have a battle royale um or a battle royal um and he's just sort of swept up into it he has no idea he's going to be involved in this but he's there um so they're like you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna participate um and then all the all the boys are sort of like huddled back into this back area there's a boxing ring back there there's a whole crowd of people and then uh one of the first things they see people being rich white dudes rich all rich white people (laughs) of of the sort of like you know influential people in the business owners judges merchants the the school's uh principal i believe or something or superintendent or some something to that effect and then uh, they see a naked white woman um, who's dancing seductively. And I believe uh, he says, uh, Ellison mentions that she has an American flag tattoo. On her stomach. <laughs> on her, her stomach, yes. on her belly. I thought that was a little bit, uh, I think that was on the nose a little bit, but I fucked with it. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, when it's written like that in the 40s, yeah, it's provocative. Yeah. But it's if you pictured a music right. video or something with it nowadays, it'd be super on the nose. But yeah. Yeah, and, and, and so you, you get a little bit of brief glimpse of like, um, his reaction to seeing this woman, um, him in, in the same time. And again, it's this this story is doing so much. It's unpacking sort of this idea of like uh, a, a black man, um, and it even you know like and viewing this sort of white woman, and then and then sort of like the white gaze upon him, him being conscious of that too, which is like they're looking at me approvingly or disapprovingly. I'm not sure. Also, I'm looking at this woman at the same time. Like, what does that mean to me? Why is it okay that I'm ex? excited by this or potentially aroused by this because one of the characters actually is literally yeah like, he's got like a hard on he's like get me out of here yeah me so here. it's unpacking a lot of shit well you know, think so, of the emmett till of it all how dangerous it yeah. is for these kids to even look upon a naked white woman how fucking yeah that's that the, is the, the, that's the primary reaction is one of like fear and i'm not supposed to see this see and this talk about them looking now that these are grown you know teenage mm-hmm. boys but there's that mixture of like fear like it's been so instilled in them that even that basic level of masculinity they they're like it's ingrained in them to like suppress it even at an event where they're supposed to be being the shit out of each other they cannot be whole men or at least even in their own mind before the white men even start talking some of the white men tell them stop looking some of them say you better look which is right again you will hear right that's that big big cuck that's how terror works (laughs) it's like terrorizing Uh, to have 
two dangerous people giving you conflicting orders what the fuck do you do you know yeah paralyzing and, and terrorizing and also it, it you know that's that theme and it's it's it's, it's that territory of like the idea of like uh black black male uh emasculation under you know in in america and like uh it's definitely it's definitely touching upon that with this with this moment um and then of course the woman is actually uh she actually leaves i mean she's actually accosted it sounds like that than the men and the actual white men uh she was just like the pre-show yeah yeah, yeah she was like the pre-show so she, she once she's once she's leaves then they make all all of the young boys uh get in the boxing ring and blindfolded. Um, and then at that point, they have them all fight in the ring. And it's basically like last man standing wins, uh, <laughs> which we find out, I believe it's like, the only wins like $10. Uh, but our main character ends up well, being- If that. Yeah, if that. I mean, I guess I guess for them and at the time, I guess- Auto manufacturer tokens <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. in place of gold yeah, coins. Yeah, so some shit. of them, yeah, right, right. But uh, uh, our main character ends up being the last guy in the ring with the biggest, he, he describes him as the biggest teenager. Um, and ultimately he gets knocked out um, more or less. And then uh, what happens after uh, that is they have all the boys who didn't win sort of together and they throw money um, on a carpet and they tell the boys basically and i believe it's described as like there's they see coins dollar bills and and some to- uh then we don't know their tokens gold those looks like gold coins um and he said and then they basically have them all run to it right and but once they get there and they start grabbing there some of them become, get shocked and they realize oh shit like they've set this whole thing up because it's 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 a sort of sadistic like electrified carpet. Yeah, it's electrified mm-hmm. yeah so it's this whole sadistic game but again, par- that that idea of like a very on the nose metaphor for mm-hmm. like capitalism, right? And like get out there and like your ex- the expectation is, you know what I'm saying? Like put yourself, it, play this sadistic game, play the sadistic game against and, each other, against each other, exactly. both, yeah. both the boxing match, the battle mm-hmm. royale, and the you know scurrying for the coins mm-hmm. is is black men like brutalizing mm-hmm. each other and the white men are on the outside like pushing and shoving but it's mostly like them hyping us up to hurt each other right right for their so, amusement yeah yeah and i i watched it i watched a, uh an interview um that interview jason i believe was at iowa state with uh with uh ralph ellison yeah that little and, clip i seen. yeah yeah and and like it was very sort of you know, uh, illuminating um, in some in other ways to hear him sort of like briefly talk about not only like, you know, his success upon the publishing of The Invisible Man, um, but also sort of his his sort of like his views on art, right? And his views on sort of like, he makes a comment and that I sort of respond. And I, I know you pointed me to this interview because uh, I know you've probably watched it too. It's very short. Uh, did you watch it, Jason? Criticism, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember the part I don't, I don't know if Leslie's seen this or not, but you remember the part where he says uh, the woman asked him about like him receiving um, validation and money for his work. And she was like, did our, our people praising him, did that help him continue to go forward? Like the, the praise and the value. And he said, no, I would be doing this. Like the work is basically the reward. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, uh, and that's something we talk about all the time, that idea of the process over process outcome. over outcome, process over outcome. Um, that stuck out to me because 
you know, that's something. Well, when he used. talked about that prize that they now give a thousand dollars out, it used to be a medal. Medal used to be a medal. And he's like the thousand dollars will come and go, but I still got the medal. You know, it's right? Like I still and that lets you know, though, that like ties- symbols being more important than the few bones they'll throw you with the money. You know, which, which ties back into his story and kind of like lets you know sort of the 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 mind behind the story, which is him even articulating that viewpoint, right? And then thinking about the scene with the boys fighting each other and then scrounging for the money. You know what I'm saying? It, it tracks right. with like sort of his own idea about it. Like this idea of like, no, like it's not about, you have to be able to look beyond the sort of, uh, 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 again, the whole, okay, hey, hey, I'm, a, I'm a broken record guys. You got to, it's, it has to be on, think beyond the prism of capitalism, like doing things that are re- that are rewards within themselves, you know what I'm saying, as opposed to the the primary motivation always being, you know, financial gain or whatever sort of accolades that the establishment can provide to you. Yeah, the problem you know is, and I want Leslie to speak on this because we're like over dominating him, and he's obviously got some shit to say, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But the fact being that class is a factor in this as well, and the fact that they're scrambling like crabs in a bucket for these bills and these coins on this rug even after they find out it's electrified, some of them are, is because they keep you with nothing. So yeah, you're inclined out of desperation to take the cash over the, you know, reward of doing something for its own good. Like people who are truly destitute don't have that luxury of doing shit for its own reward. They got to eat, you know? So I don't know. Create the conditions. Yeah. Create the conditions in which. That's why UBI is a great idea for artists. You can get three artists throw together in a house. They got 36 grand a year to live off. If they had Yang's UBI, for example. But. And to circle the before Leslie, I'm going to let you, you know, weigh in a little bit more on this. Because like, like Jason said, we are kind of <laughs> loud mouths. <laughs> no, but um, to sort of like circle the wagons back to Battle Royale, right? Which is this idea, like the parallels I saw um, is this idea of like having young people do something um, against their will uh, for because the, the powers that be in the society they live in have decided this is what needs to be, this is what needs to happen. And guess what? This is the world you guys live in, young people. So deal with it. Whether you, if you it's, it's either buy in or die, you know? So go ahead. Yeah, some of the like, um, it's not, obviously it's very, very different. In Japan, you'll have quite, you have the same ethnic ish, uh, right, issue, right, but you right. do have class issues. And there, um, I, I spent a, a bit of time living in Japan about four years and I taught um, English in, a, in a Japanese schools and some, you know, some were more high academic ones and some were lower class ones. And uh, in Japan, you test into your high school. So it, in middle school, when you're in, I think um, in, in eighth grade, you're you're taking tests to get into a good academic high school or you go to a non-academic poorer high, uh, high school if you don't have good enough grades. So the class issue is kind of already there attacking you mm-hmm. like four years or a few years earlier. Rich kids are getting tutors probably. It's yeah, better to get into good school. I mean, there's a whole huge massive subculture. Uh, mm-hmm. in, I mean, not sub... sub um, uh, it, a huge industry for after school tutors in Japan, cram schools like mass. I mean, mm-hmm. like t- that's why there's so, uh, so many, a lot of 
probably a, a good bit of the foreign workers there are teach at cram teach English at cram school because a lot of the higher achieving academic schools like English. Everybody in Japan takes English, but if you speak English very very well, that can get you into better and better schools and certain uh, jobs. And so that's can be a bit of a class indicator at times. Um, and what uh, the one thing that's happening in Japan now is that the population is aging. And, you know, uh, obviously you picked this up in the movie that the recession, the big recession, the um, lost decade, uh, this movie is a bit of reaction to that where Japan had this huge recession uh, about 10 years, right when we thought all our movies were about how Japan is going to take over the world, like Die Hard, right, you know, right. all Nakatomi Plaza, all that shit. Like as soon as that, like while we were putting that in the movies, like the jet quietly, the Japanese economy, economy was actually collapsing and that happened and they still haven't really recovered from it and also the population is aging they're going to have lots and lots and lots of old people around who are, are not going to be able to work and going to need people to take care of them and lot less and less young people are having babies so that's a huge you know social problem that has been going on been talked about in japan for a while all this pressure that's put on this young generation to uphold all these boomers who are going to live until they're a hundred that's a that's the issue uh that they're uh dealing with and, and confronting and you can clearly see that in the movie where it's like there's so much just like this hyper focus on these kids and how much pressure is put on them specifically you know eighth graders ninth graders uh when they are going from middle school to high school there's also often like when you see a middle schooler walk around in japan like you can tell which grade they are by how depressed they look because mm. they're just they just have there's just so much pressure on them and this movie is just like kind that's of that's an achievement society right like it's very important to achieve to strive to work hard to... I, I don't know i don't know if it if it's the society but it's just it well i don't know if i want to speak for a whole society yeah, you yeah, know, absurd, yeah but, but but there is you know part, there, there is that element of it that a lot of people are forced into and this movie is a bit of an expression of that obviously because you have you know these uh, high, literally a uh, uh, a teacher uh, leading this campaign where the kids are having to kill themselves and he, uh, each other to prove I don't know to like I, I, is it almost like to expunge the sins of society something yeah, let's like that. talk about that what do you yeah. think the real motivation behind it all was it was kind of muddy yeah even when they try to like explain it you know it's like it's still very much like okay so you guys decided to do this why it's almost like one of those like it's almost like a ceremonial sacrifice or something to yeah some, you know what i mean like which is what which is one of the reasons they use in certain movies they'll, <laughs> like i think cabin in the woods something like that yes. oh we're doing this for a ceremony what was it the purge has i think the purge does a pretty a almost decent job of trying to explain it away because they have like a psychologist come in and say oh yes we have tested this in fact people will become better if they are allowed to purge mm -hmm. and then we find out that it's a lie the, even the psychologist the psychologist was wrong they're just doing the purge because they want to get rid of poor and black people and uh, like the purge uh, explains it very very well i'm not quite sure how better there probably could have been a, a good explanation for it but it ultimately it, it is more about the the metaphor than it is like why would this actually happen yeah facts and i also think <laughs> it's funny because not only does not like it, it's unclear but like there's an aspect of this of, of battle royale that like it's not it's it's just a it's a movie that 
is so it has a level of like self-awareness about it right and it it's saying stuff but it's always with that sort of like idea of like yeah but like this is entertainment yeah it's like it's like a meta commentary on itself right in in real time where it's like no 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 no. like this like at the end of the day all that matters is that the shit is entertaining and that you're watching you know what i mean and like sort of kind of like that's like the meta layer commentary of the of the filmmaker on the film at the same time like you're you're sort of like uh you're enjoying this and you're complicit in your enjoyment of it if that makes sense that's at least the sense that i got from yeah it. and that's like you a horror kind of a spit mm-hmm. on your grave all those kind of movies that's kind of what they're doing like how complicit are you in this the fact that you're watching it you know it's a I, question good question you but- mentioned that gave me also another sense of the movie maybe this is you know compatible maybe it's not but it also feels like this movie it's cut and edited in the way it's told. It feels like someone telling you the story about a movie that they watch. Mm-hmm. Like there's a mm-hmm. certain distance yes. to the way it's it, it just is composed. It just feels like it, I never. I even though I love it, I think it's a beautiful movie. I don't always. I don't necessarily buy that it's real. It, it does yeah. have a, a kind of a a sense of artificiality too. And I don't mean that to knock it at all. That it's just like. I, I view it a lot differently than what like the Hunger Games tries to make you feel like you're in the world. There's at least I forget which movie I, I don't I might be mixing them up. But I, like the scenes where like Katniss is hunting in the ranges of her hometown and stuff like that. You don't get those scenes like that where you're like where she's like with the like squirrels and she meets the boy. You know, I don't think you get quite those kind of scenes in this. It feels a little bit more. I don't know. Like all, every scene is a little bit more. I don't know, comic booky. It feels like a mm-hmm. like a like a, almost like an adaptation, more of a ma- manga yeah. than trying to be like a real you know realistic. Uh, I think of part of that is obviously. the sheer number of the <laughs> right. ensemble too. They get little flashbacks that you're right yeah, feel like yeah, a it's comic very book fast because there's yeah, so yeah. many characters and it has like a reality TV side sort of like feel yes. to it. Like you know, like even yeah. with the numbers of like number thirty eight is now de- you know what I mean. It just keeps. What well, opens with a news truck. crew, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, and the return. So it's, it's definitely aware of the media aspect came, of it. Like Vorkhoven esque. That's what maybe that's what yeah, I'm yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. point. Maybe that's what I'm trying to get to. It feels yeah. a little, obviously a bit like Verhoeven. I actually yeah. appreciate that it didn't go full Running Man, Hunger Games. It's a game show type thing, though, with it. You know what I mean? It has that vibe and imparts that vibe a bit, but it's not like a motif in it. We're not cutting to people watching screens of it and shit. No, you know? but I you know, like... I didn't miss that. I didn't miss that. Every That's almost all, all I appreciate of them have it, it, but I didn't miss it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like because you are are that the way the way that the movie is the right. way that it's presented. Yeah, you the audience is that. So it's oh, like yes, it's a yes. level above, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. So it's like almost like we don't even they don't even need to do that because of the way they present the film. Like it, it, which it, is yeah. very interesting for this being a Japanese movie, because if anybody knows Japanese TV, one of the biggest like every time you turn on Japanese TV, what are you watching? You're watching someone watching something else. You're always seeing celebrity reactions, audience reactions, that sort of thing. So leaving it out of this movie, that's a choice. Yeah, it is a choice. And I thought it was actually an interesting one. I think, again, like for this movie, I feel like, again, this movie came out in like 2000. Um, so and just kind of like remembering that time and remembering that era and, it, and trying to like place this movie uh, against sort of all the movies that came before it and all the movies that came after it. Uh, like 
it does sort of like it holds up as being that sort of type of film that changed like like it, it had a, it had this sort of like maybe it definitely has its following it's definitely known but I feel like it it to me it seems like a film that's influences like it's not really calculable but it's definitely an influence like in a lot of ways squid game I mean yeah, yeah you know what I mean like it's still its influence is in all kind of shit like when you really think about it like and um and sometimes like Leslie I, said it's almost a subgenre too that yeah right movie, right because know. it but it, what it is is last it man take, standing it takes a subgenre and and does it in a certain way that sort of almost revitalizes that sort of subgenre yeah. right and makes people like look at it conceptually different ways so it's like i felt like battle royale is the type of movie that reconceptualized that whole idea and then it sprang once it was released then you had all sorts of other people being either directly exposed to it or indirectly exposed to it because i feel like a lot of people have watched films that were that were influenced by this mm-hmm. and not realizing it right and then they were influenced by the influenced film you know what i mean so it's like one of those type of movies where i feel like it it has an impact um and i feel like that's why like it still has staying power i mean i feel like i i don't like the sequel i believe it was the director's son that did the sequel um I don't really like the sequel. That's interesting. Uh, but I still yeah, like this one. Yeah, like the I still director do. passed away. Yeah. While yeah, yeah. he, was, like, what? Uh, I think he only he only shot one scene, and so mm-hmm. his son finished. His son finished the movie. Right. Right. Wow, right. that's crazy. And I I didn't really like that that one, but I mean, even this, like, in terms of like, this is like one of those movies for me personally that like I rank it pretty high, but I also will say like it's not my favorite. Uh, like. I, but I still would put it in like a pantheon, put it that way. <laughs> like if I was compiling like like a 20 influential films, Battle Royale of the 2000s, like first in the like 20th, 20th century before the 21st century or 21st century, my fault. Like I would probably put this in there. Like, you know what I mean? I would, because I feel like it has that level. Of well, I mean, between Hunger Games and Squid Game alone, shit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's I, definitely, I definitely a precursor, you know? Right. And then I, you know, you obviously have, you have shit. I mean, you have the actress from Kill Bill. Um, that literally one of the actresses in Kill Bill is from this movie mm-hmm. in Gogo, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, playing Chigusa, but very similar character. character. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Tarantino's a great ripoff artist. Yeah, uh, Tarantino loves this movie. Yeah, he does love this movie. I believe he right? probably call it homage more than ripoff. But yeah, yeah but I would call it that too. But I mean, so right. it, it is what it is. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there's good ways to do it. There's bad ways to do it, right? Yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, um, when it comes to like pastiche and like um, sort of like riffing off of other people Mm -hmm. i mean quentin does it better than a lot of people you know what i mean regardless of whatever criticisms you may have for him as a filmmaker as an artist or whatever like he does know how to sort of take from things and do it in a way that's interesting whether you you know whether that's you know again like this is right you know he's a polarizing figure for a lot of reasons but you know you got to give sort of some credit whether you're a tarantino stan or a tarantino detractor that the guy knows where to take from. You know what I mean? Like, even yeah, he, makes it, have, he makes it his own. Right, he yeah, makes it I, his own. Go ahead, Leslie. Yeah, I've, you know, I've, I've at this point, you know, I was not a big fan, I think, mm-hmm. of Tarantino. And when I saw Kill Bill, I was actually kind of, an, I actually did not, the first time I liked, saw Kill Bill, I did not like it at all. I actually like, okay, I can clearly see the references and I'm like thinking like, those movies were better. I like those movies better. They're a little <laughs> bit more serious. They're a little bit more, 
I know stylish and trippy and from and I, I just like the Japanese the like was what, what do they call them pinky violence pinky era violence of, movies. Yeah, yeah yeah pinky violence I think those are just brilliant and psychedelic in a way that you know at the time Killville just did not seem as thoughtful to me it felt like a little boy playing with you know toys <laughs> at the time I, I like the movie a lot more now and I like Tarantino a lot more now I love Tarantino now but I can I understand that reaction to him when you see him like just obviously just borrowing stuff from other movies clearly um it it, it gives you kind of a, a uneasy feeling because like okay what original ideas do you have i think with kill bill he covers up a lot of the things that he does there are at least part one part two i, I really like part but part yeah. one it felt you know too much really music video a too derivative mm -hmm. that was my feeling at the time i'll have to rewatch it again i think i i do feel a bit differently about it now i think i like it a lot more now but at the time i was like yeah this is it, tarantino is kind of a ripoff uh <laughs> artist i i, I thought I remember, I remember specifically um when with chiaki because her scene in that movie she doesn't really get any like lines or get to do that much sadly like she could have been a much bigger character it felt at the time more like oh he saw a character uh, in another movie, and he thought it would be cool to just have a cameo of yeah, them in right. it. it. It felt to me almost like when, like, like when the Marvel does their cameos oh and stuff. God. At the time, obviously, at the time, obviously, is is nowhere near as bad. Obviously, it's nowhere near, but that's kind of the feeling I felt like we. I I had no idea how low we would sink. I had no idea we would sink to like Venom. Uh, teleporting into the end of spider-man and morbius level of bad so for apologies to quentin for that one uh yeah i, I think you know, Quentin too when he made that movie and i hate to use this term and we can this can open a whole can of worms but he kind of appropriated because he took something truly in a sense where the audiences he's bringing it to the mainstream american film audience isn't even aware of the shit that he's taken from yeah so to them it's not homage it's their introduction to it yeah well watch, you... pr watch prisoner 701 watch uh lay snowblood Snow watch watch that shit it's good shit it's good see, shit and go ahead go ahead leslie okay oh, i was gonna say see i think like I, this is a theory that i have this is a theory that i have about kill the first kill bill and sort of why sort of your initial response to it and people's initial response to Kill Bill who who aren't like completely on board with it the first time they encounter it. It's because Tarantino had a problem with that movie was Tarantino was doing a lot of things to highlight the influences on purpose because he was hiding the true influence of the movie. So everyone references Lady Snowblood, right? Everyone references, every, everyone references like, you know, the, the, the Prisoner Scorpion movies and, you know, or whatever, right? They'll reference these movies or they even do he's even put the he's even put the Bruce Lee tracksuit on Uma, mm. right? He's doing that because the real movie that he's cribbing from is the Godard, or not the Godard, the, the Truffaut movie, The Bride Wore Black. If anybody's ever watched The Bride Wore Black, it is Kill Bill. It's the same thing. A bride, her husband gets killed, she makes a list and sets about to get revenge for the men she holds responsible for that. Like it's the same. And when you watch the movie, you see it. You're like, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if and to his credit, if there's an interview out there where he acknowledges that and says that well, and he's he, fully aware and it's homage and prestige, you know, well, Quentin does. Quentin, so he's not a true ripoff artist. No, no, trying to no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying, though. I'm not trying to accuse. I'm not being accusatory with yeah, this. Yeah. With this. I'm, what I'm saying is Quentin does this. Like if you listen right. to him talk, which he does, you know, you know, um, he talks a lot. He will reveal to at sometimes he will reveal the sort of true influence 
but it's like it's it's in it's in passing like he'll he'll mention yeah. it and then he'll talk about other things like mm-hmm. he does that all the time like charles williford is a big influence for quentin tarantino but he mentions charles williford like five like he knows that he knows who to sort of like hang the lampshade what to hang the lampshade on because it's like when you like he'll be like yeah I'm, I'm riffing on this i'm riffing on that but then the real influence is the is this stuff he's really not talking about you know what i'm saying because it's like he can get all of these sort of like reactions from people who are criticizing the sort of like uh, uh, pastiche-ness of his movies, of his films. But if he knows like, well, you guys are wrong because actually I know that you're going to reference those things, but that's not really the jumping off point for me. You know, and like, if you look at most of his movies, if you, de- if you dig deep enough with each film, you find that you're, there's that one sort of like film that like you could tell was like the primary tipping off point in terms of inspiring him to make this mm-hmm. movie. And then he starts layering other shit on top of it so that you don't really see the sort of like beneath the hood. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Interesting. It, and yeah, on a I've, more... heard, I've heard that. I've heard that's the second time recently I've heard the bribe or about black specifically referencing Kill Bill. I don't know if it was you if I saw you on Twitter, but I definitely remember somebody else mentioning Probably wasn't. that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but yeah, I might have to check that one out. But I see what you're saying. It's like, really, I mean, because... Because then what he's doing is saying, what if the Bride Wore Black were a Kung Fu movie? Mm-hmm. And then, Exactly. That's yeah. kind of what he's doing. That's, yeah, that's kind of what he's doing. Right. It. And it's like even what the thing with like, you know, the one the one that everyone likes to say about uh, uh, what is it? Reservoir Dogs. And they point to City on Fire. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, you're right. But also like the Friends of Eddie Coyle. Like if you read the Friends of Eddie Coyle, the book, and then you and you look at it's like, oh, you can see like there's an influence on reservoir dogs hey man like i always say william burroughs said art is theft that's yeah, what he yeah, means yeah. basically yeah. you know yeah yeah so it's, it's i like i like that's part of the reason i kind of like tarantino um is like probably why like other people don't like him is like because like i actually like like i find it a game to sort of try to like dissect what it is actual mm. <laughs> it's like a game for me outside of the film that exists i'm like okay like what is he like what exactly is his inspiration because he's such reading. a he's such a like uh what do you call it a a uh a film a film nerd that like huge he's piling on shit you know what i mean like uh, and i get it like for some people that's not their jam and honestly i have to really be in the mood for like because i've even told jason this like i'm just at a point in my own sort of life where like pastiche isn't really something that like really interests me like that um but that but means, if he's going deep on shit but if you're going yeah. deep right if you're if you're willing to go deep then it's like it's um it's it's almost rewarding in and of itself um, in a way that has nothing to do with the actual finished film. <laughs> it's like those high, remember yeah. highlights magazines, that thing where you got to yeah. find the hidden comb and the ruler and shit. Like, yeah, but it's these yeah. obscure movies. And in in a society, you know, in a society, I said in a society, take a take a shot. <laughs> in a society uh, that is so uh, inundated and sort of completely, we're, we we've become we've become a consumer culture to the degree where just it's all about consumption. He is the sort of ultimate sort of represent figure in on in the in the film circle in the film like realm that is like it's like when people said yo donald trump got elected as a president he's the perfect avatar for this country like right. you know what i'm saying it's like in the same <laughs> way it's like quentin's kind of like the perfect avatar for sort of like film nerds film and then what in the state of film today under you know mm-hmm. take a shot late stage capitalism so there you go <laughs> oh i wish i wish everything <laughs> was quentin territory i actually do wish that when I saw it would be better. What, yeah. what ambulance, right? Which 
you think is going to be a pastiche of something like a of heat and speed and all mm-hmm. this stuff but when i watch it it's just like no it's, it it doesn't really get to that <laughs> level it's like you already had the, and I, i'll i'll give michael bay this it was only 40 million dollars and he made it in 40 days you know props to that but we talked about it on struggle session it's just like what does that say about you as a filmmaker when you got to give someone props for that yeah. Right. Also, 40 million. You know efficient. what I can do with forty million dollars in forty days? Yeah, right. Also, Jesus. shout out to shout out to our fellow screenwriter friend Scott Milam. We were joking about the fact that Michael Bay is like, oh, we had forty million, as if like to him right. that's nothing. <laughs> and like a, that's I, a nothing budget. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I I can uh, I appreciate Astounding. that. But uh, but the film it just it it was so it was very poorly like written. Like even the opening scene where they're talking, where they're having supposed to have a conversation that you've seen in a million movies before, right? where the vet is on the line with the insurance company and they're not paying for the treatment, right? But it's written in a way that makes no sense. And it was, sounds like it's written by someone who's never had to have one of those phone calls before where they actually had to talk to someone. And it just didn't make any sense. And for, and it just made me think like, wow, like if this were in like a comic book, I would be mad at the writer. But it's a $40 million movie that hundreds of people worked on. And it's you the first Jake Gyllenhaal type actors in it. Well, you know? well, well, they, well, the thing is, they improv a lot of the lines, too. So that was like part of the, the problems. Like, oh, we don't have time to write the script. So we're just going to mm-hmm. do improv. And then we're going to have cops acting. And it's just like it. it I, what I'm trying to say is, I guess, like, if this were like like what Quentin Tarantino does is so much better, even though oh, actually dude. he does improv prop stuff on the set, but the movie is like in the, he the actually takes it. time with the script though. <laughs> yeah, he takes time with the script and he does uh, change up things on the set. Yeah, but his movies are so much more. I don't know, like delicately made, intricately he made. Cares. Like, he cares. He truly cares about well, the well, minutia. Even if they're know. a pastiche, even right, if. Well, Leslie. If he was trying to do like heat and speed, it would be so much better. It would just would be. Yeah, go ahead. Well, yeah, well, see, sure. you have to understand when you say that, like that, it's written bad because ninety eight percent of everything that comes out of Hollywood is written badly, and 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 like Jason points to, most people don't care. Like mm. I just read a script for a like a sequel in a long, big, giant franchise um, that everyone knows about. That is maybe the tenth iteration wink wink maybe the 10th iteration of it and i got to the end of the script and it was just funny to me because i'm like they paid someone hundreds of thousands of dollars to write this yeah. um and like to put to, to not have, like again like i'm the least like hollywood person in, but to protect sort of my political connects i won't mention the movie maybe in the maybe in the, maybe on overtime i will behind the paywall but uh, i won't mention the movie right now but jason knows what movie i'm talking about but uh <laughs> but the fact of the matter is i read the last version that came out and I felt similarly, I was like, you know, the fact that this movie people like, because when you start to interact at any level uh, in screenwriting, when you start to talk to these people, these execs, these actors, even, you know, who, who attach themselves to projects, these directors, like you really, uh, really understand like, oh, like one, they don't have good taste Two, like, they really don't pay attention to like the writing because to them, it's all the, it's all a financial puzzle piece thing. It's like, if I get this guy, then I can get financing. If, if we get this actor, this actor's got heat. They just had, they were just, oh, this, the actor from Squid Game. That's, that's popular. You know, that's what all the people behind the scenes are thinking from the actors that are in, attaching themselves to the executives and the producers and the studios to the director that him, themselves. Like it is completely done almost 
from a from the standpoint of like how can i get this movie made to make it a profit yeah. it has nothing to do with like the artistic integrity of the story they want to fucking tell whatsoever yeah so and rant. Yeah, i mean this is something that i'm glad to talk to you because this is something mm-hmm. i've been struggling with just like because we uh I'm struggle session, struggle session. We, yeah we've been doing a lot Plugs of in before uh, the buzzer Oh yeah, we've been doing a lot of um we've been we anytime there's a big movie that we're kind of interested in, we cover on the show. And other times we're covering older movies, movies that we generally love or novels or comic books. And I have to say of all video games too, like of all the things that I consume, the worst written things tend to be mainstream Hollywood movies. And I didn't really realize that until like recently. And it's just shocking because when you're reading like the comic book that the movie is based on and (laughs) watching the comic book movie and the dialogue is laughable compared to the comic book from, you know, 30 years ago, written by a 23 year old for no money uh, when he's like, you know, just like, you know, just throwing shit at the wall. That's a problem for me. <laughs> like if we're in 20, like 20, all these years of Batman is still a struggle to get a script with Batman that's half as good as the average floppy comic book that people tossed in the trash that had Batman in it. As because just as Hollywood, far as, like, though. See, those comic books are written in English, pretty much for a Western audience. Hollywood waters everything now. It's that globalization and the four quadrant hunger that they have. Every movie they make, they want to go global and make a billion dollars. So you can't have sophisticated, intricate dialogue or anything in it. You know what I mean? They're trying to water it down to this base denominator where it can be easily translatable, et cetera. So they focus on cgi bullshit stunts i mean the death of practical effects kills me too i could spend yeah. hours talking about yeah. that i want i want to pare down that language thing because it's like the minions do well because you can put them in any language right at least that's what i've heard yeah right? and they're just that, barely speaking yeah i don't know if that's just a meme that people came up with or that's like a real true thing that they talk about i think it's true movies. it's like woody allen movies don't travel um tarantino movies don't do massive global box office they'll crush domestically but if you look globally it's like yeah they do great in western europe and he's got his fans overseas japan where they speak english but china man hollywood so, wants china so well, if so, how can you so if your script basically has to be at the level of sophistica- sophistication of uh, the minions, no matter what you're writing, <laughs> but you don't actually tell people this. You tell people that your Batman movie is going to be like Seven or right. Zodiac, <laughs> but you've actually written the script to minions level. I think that's maybe the problem I've been having. I've been trying to figure out, and I've been trying to figure out why no one in Hollywood really talks about this. I see all the tweets where they congratulate each other on like yeah. the award season yeah. and stuff, but then I look at their movies <laughs> and the filmography. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's I mean, most of them are vapid and stupid and, you know, whatever. There's that. But I do think a lot of the actors are attracted to great material, but they most of them are experienced enough to have been through the ringer where they've had these great scripts they attach to and financiers fell apart 15 fucking times, but they can get the big dumb movie made. Jason, what? now you know that the majority of these actors that have a career, you know, they don't read these fucking scripts. I know they don't this. read these big dumb scripts. They but don't they read, read no 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 these big actors, every single one that I've met, every single one, they don't read, dog. They have someone like me do it. 
Yeah, I think I'm thinking maybe of older actors. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. They have I someone think... like me do it. You know, because my first shock that was a shock to me at first, right? Gene and Hackman was reading scripts. Yeah, Gene you know Hackman. Yeah, Gene Hackman was. But you're talking about previous eras of Hollywood. About, yeah, now it's Tom Holland reading the script. Yeah. I, don't I don't know. These <laughs> motherfuckers are not like so. They're not reading the scripts, dog. They're of what they're course. Doing. There's agents and everything that gatekeep. Yeah, the them, agents but some are gatekeeping back doors. And most of those are trash. Why do you? Why do you think? Why do you think there's all these actors that do ten or twenty fucking movies? You know, are more like it's. They're not reading these scripts. It's checks. They're cashing checks. They're like. I mean, it's a great way to make a living. Most of them are artists. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. So it's like that's that's a big thing where it's like like even the directors, right? Directors, we know this, like they always tell you, like have like six or seven things going so you can go on the first one that hits. You can't tell me you're passionate about something if you have six projects. Right. That's just the nature of the business, man. OK, I'll give you like one Gross. or two. I'll give you like two, maybe even three pushing it. But if you got like six, which is most motherfuckers we know who are actively working, have six fucking irons in the fire. There's no way you give a fuck about any of those six with any degree of passion, dog. It just doesn't fucking sure. work. And everyone is has to buy into this kayfabe of these of, of, of people in Hollywood where it's like, kayfabe. oh, this Leslie is- and his face <laughs> Leslie with the, with the yes. motherfucking wrestling terminology. Yeah, yeah. So like it is literally a kayfabe that exists. Like even with the Oscars, right? The Oscars haven't been good for a decade. Like the movies haven't been good for a decade. There's the buzzer. Now we're in overtime, so I can really go on my Sudden death. Sudden, Sudden death. death. Uh, no time limit say whatever the fuck we want so um the whole thing is like these motherfucking people have to buy like have to continue to pretend that these movies are great like coda coda won best picture coda's a fucking Ooh. lifetime movie it's yes. a lifetime yes. movie like right. these yeah. movies are haven't been good for the past i'm telling you they they suck like when's the last time an interesting movie won best picture at the oscars interesting <sighs> Just, i mean fuck dude I mean, I remember. I was about to say. Uh, I was about to say. Uh, no country for old men. No country. That's, that's usually what people yeah. say, and even then, it's like, okay, it's a basically a straight. I don't know. It like is no country for old. I love the movie. There's something it to might, talk about. That's what I mean by interesting. Like you could discuss okay. the ending. There's some layers. There's you yeah, know, it's, yeah, Cormac it's McCarthy of it all. Yeah, it's basically my favorite movie, but it's you know, <laughs> it wasn't nothing new, right? It right. Was just, it was like the perfection of you know that sort of story but yeah, I, ambiguity but yeah, though like the yeah. oscar movies are so obvious like you said the lifetime hallmark movie and shit you know now yeah. and, um a nomad land yeah sure a beautiful little film but is it you know it won because of amazon and right. the comment it was making and it didn't even make a com- it's so neoliberal it's so neoliberal in its fucking concept too because it's like it really isn't saying anything yeah. It's like, oh, here's a problem. Okay, that's just the world. Bye. You know what I mean? And that's what that's the thing that annoys me about like sort of the discourse in like Hollywood circles is like their main criticisms for a lot of movies will be like, well, it had no answers. I'm like, you motherfuckers have no answers. Like all the movies that you love have no answers. They present society as the thing that we live in. And there's it's nothing you can do about it. Fuck I don't it. think there's anything wrong with that. Artists, you know, just reflect okay. reality. And if it's a hard you know, sometimes just asking the right but, question. But Jason, enough, the, what but... you're talking about is different. What you're talking about is different. They're not thinking like you. You know what I'm saying? Like if they thought that way as an artist, that would be fine. It's like I'm just presenting. They're not mm-hmm. really thinking that way. What they're doing is they're sort of like they're not even thinking. Thinking is and I, like I said before, you could there is a way that like art, bad art can be like, you know, when somebody's yeah, too yeah. intellectual, like that's yeah. why you can have somebody who's a complete moron that can like produce good art because they understand fundamentally like. Like it's not. I'm just saying. I think that can happen too, where you present yeah. answers in movies. If somebody over intellectualized it Correct. or came up with an answer that isn't fucking really a good answer, you know. 
Right, right. And you can have ambi- you can have morally sort of uh, ambigu- uh, ambiguous movies, right? And you can have movies that don't really make a statement, right? That's fine. I'm all for that. But what I'm mm-hmm. saying is, like, when you take the sort of, like, bland films that are made today. It's like, like a Sally Struthers infomercial. Isn't this right. terrible? Like, where yeah. it's, where it's, first of all, it's like, you got a, you got Hollywood, which wants to, again, like, I always harp on this. They want to present themselves as some sort of fucking moral arbiter. Like when, when in fact they are the inspiration for all of James Elroy's fucking books for a reason, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it's a cesspool. It's, it's, it's the, it's the casting couch. It's all the fucking fuckery and exploitation that goes on in Hollywood. Right. The idea that they would have the fucking gall to present themselves to the rest of society as some sort of like beacon of morality is, is on its face absurd. And people explicitly and implicitly understand that right i kind of love it in the way i love good shitty villains and charles <laughs> kane and shit or whatever but, you know what i mean <laughs> but to, to back to my point oh, yeah. though back to my point though is that like these films they have these films that they're all about the message and it's mm-hmm. like but you guys have no message it's right. a joke <laughs> it's a fucking joke like you how you got message films from people who have like no sort of Message I ain't disagreeing to, with you know, any yeah. of that. Yeah. So it's like if you have a message, dog, and you really and you really try a point to say, I think that a lot of times that that translates, right? Like even if you're if you're somewhat of a capable enough sort of uh filmmaker or writer or whatever, right? Like all you sort of need is the sort of something to say and 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 have, have just the, the the basic baseline capabilities of 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 expressing it. And like that gets you far. The issue is like. In my opinion, the issue is that these people don't even have the baseline ability to express it, one. And two, they don't have anything to say. The only thing they have to say is make this big thing so I can get money, so I can get fame, so people can like me, so people can think. Like, people want to be showered with adulation, especially Hollywood. That's what that, that's what attracts people to Hollywood, right? But, like, that's all they care about. They just care about clout. They just care about being famous. They don't give a fuck about the art. They're not slaving over their – they're thinking about, like, yo, if I take this next movie – uh. Can I get how many red carpets can I do? Uh, uh, can I uh, wait till the press release comes out? You know how many times I've had conversations with people in Hollywood about the press release? You would think the press release was the most important thing in the world. Fuck the script. They're like, oh, wait till this press release comes out on deadline. You know, that's the type of people that we're talking about. Like, I want to hear what Leslie has to say about some of this. Because you know, I, I I love this conversation and, and loving and. I, I maybe this might be a bit derailment because I feel like you answered my question about the script that's been bothering me. Like why are why do scripts feel so like feel bad? And the why same reason actually, John Cena had to make that apology. Yeah, <laughs> why they why they why they not seem good? And now I see par, part of it. And but another question I have, and this is maybe not in your wheelhouse, but I'm thinking about is like movies also look worse. And I just wonder, I, like that movie, Red Notice, was it? With Ryan Reynolds? The Rock yeah. I couldn't even Gal watch it. The Netflix one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have never seen three more attractive people look more hideous than that movie because of the lighting and the makeup, which is, which is a big problem. Color and, correction is a problem, and, and, too. Look how dark and muddy these Harry Potter movies are and shit. Yeah. Like, it's and, weird. And, and it's like a big widespread thing. So maybe this is off track just a little bit, but just like I would think even if I'm an actor and I don't care if the script is good, I would want to look good, right? Like that's a mm. big part of your brand and branding. And so many of these movies, like there's no lighting. The lighting is completely flat. The hair and makeup budgets have clearly shrunk post-COVID. Like you can easily tell this. I've never seen more attractive uh, people who spend more money on their looks 
uh, that end up looking like corpses and like TV shows and movies, uh, mostly on the streaming services. And I just wonder, like, and I've asked people about this on Twitter and most of, and some people finally respond. It's like, yeah, they're cutting the budget. They're not doing unionized and nobody's talking about it because uh, er because everyone's afraid to. <laughs> who who yeah, directed talk. Red Notice? Who directed it? Red Notice. You got to look it up, right? Yeah. I mean, that made my point. We don't know. That made my <laughs> point. Yeah, Netflix. Yeah will make a massive deal to a fincher but then other than that they're not getting great great artists fasten marshall thurber uh, <laughs> he look, i mean he looks like a good guy he's very in shape he's actually a that's sign number one he sucks that sounds like a, he's is that a, a director's in shape look at william yeah Freak if you got time Hitchcock to be in shape shit. yeah you're too michael in shape, bay is not. in shape yeah. yeah. Well, well, hold up. First of all, that sounds <laughs> well, like Zack that... Snyder is the one exception, but he gets in shape by lifting red cameras with his arms. Okay. So yeah, he he's a shooter at least. Yeah. Soderbergh and him around. That, that direct that, that's a director or a Republican congressperson. Like what? The... <laughs> yeah. Hey, he what used that middle name, name too. That, that son of a bitch. Uh, my my, my but, thing is, Jason, you're you're really on point with that whole like what people don't like to talk about is like, yo, these these things are like I always look at like budgets, like film budgets. They're money laundering schemes, dog. Like, yeah. Like you look at the budget, and it's like there's a there's there's a they, movie has like a 50, 40, 50, 100 million dollar budget. Like if you really like broke out the fucking uh, if you did like a what do you call it a financial audit, you would see like oh shit like this money's being broke off to the, like the people at the top, like whether it's the big name actors, the producers, and like, and then like this, like whatever's left is like the crew people. They're not like the majority of the budget isn't going to the crew at all. Like the crew is underpaid, overworked, right. overworked. you know what I'm saying? Like shooting, getting shot and shit. Right. Like they don't, the yeah. crafts people in Hollywood aren't respected dog. Like, you know what I mean? Like even, even no. the most, even the most, the ones that can demand the biggest fees, like it's still nothing in comparison to sort of like you know like an actor will come on a film and take and this is all film school of the budget part of it i think to answer your question too leslie is all right i've talked a lot i don't know if i have on this podcast so much but at least on other ones about lars von, von trier's the five obstructions have you seen this hardly anyone's seen this shit no. you the made five, a documentary the five obstructions no no is uh no it's a I've documentary heard of it, so basically he took like this mentor filmmaker his this famous I think Danish filmmaker who made the seminal film, The Perfect Human, I think it was called in the 60s. Lars von Trier takes him and says, I want to challenge you five different ways. I'm going to give you five obstructions, he calls them, to remake your film. So like the oh, first one is yeah. it has to be no cut longer than 12 frames. Yes, dude. The, yeah. So half a second or whatever. And then I want you to remake your film animated. And I want you to do this. You know, only can use in-camera transitions or some shit. I just made that one up. But I'm just saying those are the kind of obstructions he would give. So basically, yeah, you're these... is it like Dogma 95 is how it's referred to? Dogma as... 95 is a different movement. He, started he and Vinterberg oh, started yeah, together. Yeah. But uh, but it, it sounds a little, maybe a little bit similar. Well, it's a similar thing in that they, they create structures that put limitations on you as a filmmaker. So then you either can't tell these big stories that are full of bullshit or you have to come up with really creative ways to get past it like orson wells said the enemy of art is the absence of limitation and i think that's what's going on with these netflix movies they just throw money at shit there's no limitation there's no art in it because they don't have to be creative and everything is the technology we can fix it in post we can color grade it we could do this or that and it just they aren't worried about capturing perfection yes, yes. they're like, like we're gonna fix it down the line and shit or, so they or don't care like it makes it 
or like say we're going to have a stadium scene but we don't have the budget we're not going to hire any extras how do we, we creatively do this we they don't creatively do it they just like do they just <laughs> cgi it and make a really unconvincing exactly. stadium shot i remember watching creed 2 the boxing match and like the crowd is just very obviously like cgi green screen behind them in like the climax of the film which is really unfortunate because i like the rest of the movie but it just like a hate does, cgi dude Don't but it just <laughs> does not look any good and like you could if you cannot afford to do a rocky for like big stadium show then have the main fight take place you know in the gym or something right. throw a twist throw a but turn. think of the think of a film scene back in the thing think even when they're making star wars of the artisans that were there it was an artistic venture you had these costumers and these fucking wardrobe people doing crazy shit you had the guys making the model spaceships and the way they would have to film those this is all live shit and actual practical effects a werewolf scene from 1984 might look kind of hokey or clash of the titans that harry house and shit it looks hokey but god damn this was some artists yeah trying to yes, make some the, shit and oh, cgi is trash oh that's it's perfect cold. that's perfect way to express it because uh, not to knock the cgi artists they're doing they're trying to they're they, doing they're, what they can they, but it ain't they're, the same they're they don't have time and they don't get paid to make art they get paid to make content and that's what they're uh doing and mistreated uh while doing it doing it but yeah that's the thing like even when you're talking about things that might look obviously fake if there's artistry to it you buy that in a movie yeah. it doesn't matter it can be a matte painting i and love seeing appreciate it, it. like yeah. think of like time or uh ice pirates you ever see that stupid ass movie ice pirates <laughs> ice pirates from like the early yeah. 80s it was like a yeah. b movie yeah. but there's a scene at the end which is hilarious where they're in some accelerated aging shit has hit them so the final battle scene everyone's fucking aging and getting over the shit while they're fighting and they just get decrepit but the beards are growing out and it all looks fake as fuck but it's like some dudes made that shit happen cut yeah. all right get yeah, the yeah, long yeah. beard on fucking it you know it's fucking great it's Let's a make tan a movie, it's, a tan man. it's tangible though you know yeah like, i mean dude they tangible. set motherfuckers on fire they you know how many cars have been blown up and shit in the 80s right. like literal explosions and I, and I, which i'm not advocating setting people on fire it's i think there's good ways to use cgi but they throw it at everything and it's just soulless well dude. i feel like we live in the in the era of like you know video games so like that's why I feel like film should shy away from it. It's because like film is never going to be able to compete. Yeah. Like yeah. on that level, like that's that's the realm in the territory of games. Like let let that be. You should invest in doing shit. In not only that, camera. but games don't suffer the uncanny valley rally because you're immersed in the whole world. Exactly. Right? You're most the, it's the all is, CGI. Yes, yeah, that's what I, a I game is. Shit is. I would, I'll disagree a little bit because I've been watching some '90s movies in the I past, and maybe even Event Horizon is probably the best example of it. Uh, and that, that early wave of CGI that obviously looked fake, mm -hmm. it still had something to, to it, it that like doesn't yeah. bother me right now. And it wasn't leaned on as heavy. They knew they could only use it for certain things. Because it was an effect, though. It wasn't like right. a it was ocean a, that the movie. Right. It was the, exactly. And, and it was which, an effect. What, what you're yeah. both hitting on is the fact it's the approach. It's the yeah. approach. The approach is they approached it that way. They approached it like it was an effect as opposed to like not this catch all like this is just a way we can it's, fix it's everything the movie. later. Yeah, yeah, it's the fucking movie. It's Marvel. We're making a movie, but Marvel's how do just, we do that? Marvel's just like, let's just paint a big ass studio green and put actors yeah, in between shit. the motherfucker and let it go. Like, you know what I'm saying? Well, That's say what you want shit. about Honey Boy. I know you don't love Shia like I do. I love that little fucking. I loved you know, Honey I Boy. I, I thought that, that opening shot. Amazing. It opens with that fucking transformer shit on a green screen yeah. where he's yeah, being yeah. blown back. Yeah. It's like great. He's just like right up front 
this is the absurdity of the world this fucking kid has grown up in you know no, yeah the I fakeness thought, I, of I it i saw that at, actually i saw that at the arc light before, nice. before the pandemic dog like yeah so like like when i was in la so shia shia come on dream guest listen 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 <laughs> <laughs> actually uh, actually that could happen i mean oh, all right let's uh, talk I mean, i'm like there's like one person removed from him yeah but like uh, uh even though you know but my thing is 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 just it's a sensibility thing, right? Like, like you guys are touching on, like, and I feel like that's because corporations have completely assumed the industry to the point where now, like, like when it comes to like all the sort of interesting shit, right? And the problem becomes like um, once, like every now and then they'll select, you know, people, artists or filmmakers and whatever get selected, right? From who are doing things on the outside, who are doing things independently, doing things on the fringes. But the problem is when those people get selected, they become completely co-opted once they, you know. Yeah, what it's, that's what I was going to say is, and this goes back to what you were talking about mm-hmm. earlier with directors, actors not mm-hmm. giving a fuck. Mm-hmm. Corrupt institutions corrupt the people within them. I think mm-hmm. tons of buses arrive in LA still every day with artists on them, wanting to act, make Ooh. fucking good shit. And some of them stick around there and they make little indie movies or whatever. But if they get into that studio system, man, the capitalization of it studio started system. pre-corporations. I mean, think about who first started these studios. Mm. They were theater purveyors who needed content. They were Netflix. They were like, we need to start making shit. <laughs> but what they did eventually was they hired like Irving Thalbergs and shit mm. to fucking run development. And then he's like a fucking literary guy. So he's bringing in William Faulkner and Raymond Chandler and shit to, to work on point, movies. The guy that but we nowadays, a guy who's a piece of shit. I mean, did you have some some attachment? You know, not, not attachment. That's a strong word, Jason. But you worked with the company was Harvey. Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like Harvey was a piece of shit. But like Harvey was one of those figures in Hollywood who would like sort of like pluck people out and let them let them go. Like, yeah, Harvey. Was That's the thing. They, Harvey would even though he was a micromanager and a Napoleon, mm-hmm. he would bet on artists. He would right. like a Tarantino only broke in even then under a Harvey. Right. Well, my, you know here's I mean? here's something that I, I can bring from the world of pro wrestling and, and thinking about Harvey Weinstein, what a monster he is and what he actually what he actually brought to. the t- But he was also considered like this legend and this genius tastemaker. And sh- yeah. yeah tastemaker. Because he saw a Quentin Tarantino kind of movie and figured out it was good. <laughs> yeah, I right, fucking right. do that. But see, like, it was, it was really only because he was outside the system. He had to take more riskier bets. And but, he, that, yeah. it paid yeah. off. But, but my point is, like. Uh, I'm sure you've all heard of AEW and Tony Khan, right? And mm-hmm. he he's start uh, for people who don't know, WWE obviously been dominant for decades. Vince McMahon leading the industry, but then this guy Tony Khan comes along and he's challenging him seriously for the first time. Uh, a company in the, maybe the past 20 years is challenging Vince McMahon's dominance. And who is Tony Khan? Is he a genius? No, he's oh. really just like the average wrestling fan yeah. who's posted on message boards and like imported uh, this from Japan. We, I have the same fucking taste as him. I used to fucking, I'm pretty sure he used to get DVDs from me at times. All right. So he's not like some super creative genius. He's basically saying, you know, if, if you actually let the wrestlers wrestle and like don't put on goofy shit to amuse yourself, you can put on a good wrestling show easy because the talent is already there right. and like when it comes to hollywood i feel like night where whether it's harvey or anyone else that's a good producer like all you're doing is like seeing good shit and not getting in their fucking way and it's just, you're making I, less bad bets because they right. all still fuck up right harvey right. bet on a lot of shitty movies but he made some good ones that the studios are too risk averse because they had already been bought by fucking sony and shit our fucking what's 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 uh silver 
fucking uh, Joe Silver. Uh, Joe Silver. Joe Silver. Guys like Joe Silver are, are DeLuca. I mean, DeLuca's still working and shit, but yeah, but you know, like those guys. But my thing is Scott Christo, Rudin. Right. Uh, he's a piece of shit too, but yeah. But like, my saying, whole thing is, like, this, is isn't a hot, this, right, this isn't a hot take because I, in it, because it's like we're like behind a paywall at this, you know, whatever. Because I say this all the time and I say it all the time on Twitter and I say it, I said it on the podcast execs are useless they're not there's no talent there like these producers it it requires no talent these motherfuckers they put creative in creative exec to make them feel like they're doing something creative they're useless like dude they're cooked too many cooks in the kitchen but you're a chef and they brought in a bunch of fry cooks from burger king and they're the cooks in the kitchen with you yeah right but (laughs) like like leslie pointed out like jason he was pointing out more or less that like the only thing that like if you get somebody in there who's willing to just look at somebody doing something good and be like, all right, let them do it. That's all it requires. That's it. <laughs> That's but it. they're so risk averse. Corporations right. ain't gonna do that. They're gonna here, focus, test, and fucking that. That it's says a, a lot. I, I have I have to get out of here, but I do want to mention because we talk talk about risk. I would be remiss if I because I've been tracking the decision making over at Warner Brothers a lot because it's just fascinating <laughs> to me with the Zack Snyder and the Snyder cut stuff because we've got the culmination now. We have. You know, after all this time, Batman basically started with Batman versus Superman came out. It didn't make a billion dollars. And Warner Brothers executives were convinced that need to make a billion dollars. That's so far what I've been able to piece together, which was a new benchmark that was set by Iron Man 3. Basically, Iron Man 3 came out the by Shane Black, you know, the guy who's been begging Warner Brothers to fucking make movies for him for fucking ever. He and they're like, always say, I'll fuck off, Shane. That he goes to Marvel Disney, makes them a billion dollars with Iron Fucking Man, the third one of all things. I know I'm saying Iron Man like is a goofy character. Take your mind back to like 1995. Iron Man fucking sucked. Nobody cares. Yeah, about no one Iron gave Man. a shit about Iron Man. No, Iron Marvel. Man's okay, hey, I'll so, say about Marvel, the genius there is the casting. That's yeah, yeah. We're all doing nailed it. But the fact that he was able to make a billion dollars with Iron Man, but they weren't able to make a billion dollars with uh, Batman for Superman blew their fucking brains. And they like, basically I'm sure most people can look it up. There was a lot of issues. They kind of, they messed with, they wanted the movie to be a certain length. They brought in Joss Whedon to basically reshoot half the movie. (laughs) And then they had to go back. And basically this whole thing costs millions, billions, millions and millions of dollars. And it didn't make them one red cent more at the end because they just put out their new attempt at the bat batman called the batman and it's going to bring a home about as much as the suicide squad as the original suicide squad which they also freaked out about because it didn't make mu- as much money as gardens of the galaxy meanwhile and- joker made 900 billion dollars or nine hundred million. Yeah. And, and we, they rebooted. They rebooted the Suicide Squad, even though it was financially successful. Yes, they rebooted Suicide <laughs> that was Squad. Crazy. They got here's the crazier part. The reason Will Smith is not in Suicide Squad, and I, I was, a, I'm, I think I'm the only one who's pieced it together. But you can read it in the interviews. Is this? It's like is it was it, basically the choice was James Gunn or Will Smith? Because remember, James Gunn got fired by Disney, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then the, the, Mark, Warner Brothers comes in, hires him to do Suicide Squad. Then Disney wants James Gunn back. And he says, mm-hmm. all right, I got to do Suicide Squad th- between this and that time. And I want to do it here. And that doesn't work with Will Smith's schedule. Allegedly, maybe that was just a lie from their team. But then the choice became 
do you have Will Smith in the sequel to a Will Smith movie? Or do you have James Gunn, <laughs> who directed Guardians of the Galaxy for the competition? And for some reason, the execs decided that actually it would be better if we just did what the other guys did and get James Gunn instead of Will Smith, one of the biggest, one of the last movie stars in the world that most people probably, if you ask the average person what Suicide Squad is about, you say, oh, the Will Smith movie. But right. they didn't bring him back for the sequel. I know people like I know a lot of people are down on Will Smith, but you can't make a sequel to a Will Smith movie without Will, Will Smith. Smith. But that was a decision an executive made, and that because they want up, that Guardians of the well, Galaxy well, money, look, and they're look, perplexed, like you said, they can't make Marvel money with DC shit. Look but, at the yeah. Independence Day. Look at the Independence Day sequel. <laughs> and they, and they, yeah, exactly, Independence Day sequel. Right. And also, there's another one. There, there's three mm. Will Smith sequels without Will Smith. They all flopped. Men in Black. Men in Black. Men in Black. Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and who gives it? Who would give a fuck? about men in black like without, without the casting Wilson. chemistry right yeah it's time jones too perfect yeah yeah Wilson yeah, Com jones. yeah completely bizarre choices and it, it seems like and this this and discovery is gonna buy warner Brothers now so there's no one's gonna be held accountable for it I, I don't know what accountability is but i just think that if you bet all this if you have you know your zack snyder and your david ayer universe and it's making a decent amount of money but the reviews aren't great but mostly fan mostly people are on board with it and then you radically shift directions to copy the other guy bring in including bringing in like joss whedon after they fought after marvel fired him and bringing in uh james gunn after disney fired him unfairly unfairly it <laughs> yes, was unfair in, in, in the in james gunn's part i don't want to knock him that he doesn't seem like a bad person yeah. on the whole but if you make all these decisions like why isn't there someone at the end saying all right you're fired you've lost us a billion fucking dollars with batman and superman and wonder woman wonder woman is quitting she doesn't want to play the party anymore no more harley quinn margot robbie robbie's done with this we had all this in our hands a few years ago everything was it wasn't perfect it wasn't as good as marvel but we could have built on the this people they're really answering to though are the corporations facts who and owns also, that time is... warner and it's like did they still merchandise it do they still put batman in happy meals and shit yeah so they fucking made money <laughs> you can't just look at box office and oh, those, they don't those care. studio yeah. exec jobs they, they are to be to, to 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 be fair like even though i don't give a fuck about being fair to them at all the movie's uh, an ad for the lunchbox but but those studio those exec jobs look that's like a rotating revolving door of motherfuckers in and out like yeah, yeah they're all in fear of their jobs they are constantly being replaced they're constantly they're, you know what i mean like so it's like i can kind of see how that works and like you said they're completely corporate owned and corporate controlled yeah. but i know leslie has to go before you go there's one thing i do want you to weigh in on before you leave because i feel like you can speak to this and it's one name and i want you to tell me your thoughts and that name is michael che Michael Che. <laughs> All right. So I used I was gonna say you can't let him leave. <laughs> my my thoughts on Michael Che used to be that even though I might personally dislike him, uh he's funny. Clearly, with the new season of SNL, that is no longer true. He is, he is he's, not, he's not funny in his TV show as well. He's not even that funny. He's not even that funny. He can do a good 15-minute set. That's about it. I don't know what more I need to say about him. He's just a little stand-up comedian i'm sorry on one of the worst shows seen like TV. 15 minute spots of his they were pretty solid yeah he's but got 15 he's got a good 15 i've minutes. never seen a special i don't think i've, seen one, I've seen one special it was okay it wasn't yeah you know. um, my thing a, is where did the fuck did this happen the beef yeah you got a beef with him right <laughs> no it, it, it's, really i mean uh my co-host jack allison wrote this uh wrote an article basically summing up but basically jack one day just made a tweet criticizing the terms 
of submitting a packet for SNL because they say if you give us your social media handle, then we own all the jokes that you've posted on Twitter, which was kind of a big deal, you know, back in the day. Yeah. If you're a comedian, you're a writer, you post your jokes on Twitter and you probably don't want to give them all to SNL Fuck for yeah. free uh, just to submit a packet. And somehow Michael Chase saw this very quickly and started like bothering Jack just for saying, you know, like, hey, don't that term is not a good term to put in a contract when you're just like uh submitting so Michael Chase defended the show and not being yeah, able to like, tweet whatever like a, he wants to tweet he's like the head writer there right not now yeah he's like the head writer it was, it was very weird has michael che taken the advice of ralph ellison's narrator's grandfather <laughs> that's ooh, what, ooh, <laughs> ooh, good, ooh. good way to tie it in jason oh good, good way um I would hate to, I, if I said that about another black man, I think I would be also be that black man then that's at that nice. point. Great answer. So that's the, that's a little bit of a problem. But it we'll is, have it, to, we have yeah. to talk it out amongst ourselves. Yes, amongst ourselves, but it is a good question for, for the audience to ponder. Yes. And with that, thank you again, Leslie Lee. Thank you. For coming on Struggle Session. Give us the info and all the good stuff come back we'll let you talk more too thank you so much yeah please find a struggle session anywhere you find podcasts um provide and also you can find us at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for our bonus episodes and i do a call-in show pretty regularly talk about wrestling talk about movies it's called culture it's on the call-in app just find it on your phone find me leslie lee i i i leslie lee the third my man that was brilliant Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much. Peace. Peace.